match. <laughs> in, the, in the playground was done yesterday. So thank you to all that were involved in that. Also, uh, make note that there's the family fellowship meal following our service. And all are welcome. So please stay and enjoy food and fellowship with us. Our call to worship comes from Psalm 11, verse 1. To the choir master of David. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? Let us pray. Oh Lord, our merciful Father, we ask that you look upon us gathered here today as a congregation and individually with the helpful spirit of your grace. Father, allow us, we pray, to come with humble boldness into the Holy of Holies by the new and living way into your present presence Christ has made ready for us through his sacrifice. Father, we ask that our worship be glorifying to you and a blessing to all. Amen. If you'll turn in your hymnal, our hymn of praise is number 133, Rock of Ages. Please stand.
you'll remain standing. We will confess as Christians what we believe through the Apostles' Creed. And it is printed on the front of your hymnal. Christian, what is it you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From hence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. If you look in your bulletins, we'll continue with a response from the uh, Westminster Larger Catechism, question 13. I'll read the question and we'll respond with the answer. What hath God especially decreed concerning angels and men? God, by an eternal and immutable decree, out of his mere love for the praise of his glorious grace, to be manifested in due time, hath elected some angels to glory, and in Christ hath chosen some men to eternal life and the means thereof, and also, according to his sovereign power and the unsearchable counsel of his own, whereby he extendeth or withholdeth favor as he pleases, hath passed by and foreordained the rest to dishonor and wrath to be for their sin inflicted to the praise of the glory of his justice. Our responsive reading comes from Psalm 11. In your pew Bibles, that is on page 574. We will alternate. I'll begin with the first verse and we'll alternate through the end of the psalm. To the choir master of David, in the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. So good to see you here this Sunday morning. 
for those of you that this kind of a service is new to you, the reason that we do the creed and things like that is because it's always been done in the church for about 2,000 years as a very succinct statement of the faith. So the reason we call it a creed is from that old uh, word from the old languages of Latin and Greek credo, which means I believe. So we all confess our faith together. And at the same time, there are some terms in there that might be new to some people, like the term Catholic, which doesn't mean Roman Catholic. It means all true believers in Christ, both before Christ, who believed in Christ to come, and ever since then. And also within that church, that universal church, will be every Christian that will ever live long after we go on to glory. So there are a lot of terms in there and things we do in the service that might be of interest to you, but there are reasons why we do them, and we believe they're all drawn very much from the Bible. So at this time in the service, we're actually going to have confession, where you don't confess to me or any other human being, but you do take a time to make your mind, heart ready before God to worship him by a time of silence in which you confess to him your personal and private sin. This time also we as a people of God confess to the Lord our common sins for the sins of us as a people. And so Christian, I ask you, do you believe that you have fallen short of the glory of God? We do. And do you believe that every day you have sinned in thought, word, and deed? We do. Then I declare to you on behalf of Scripture, because it's what Scripture declares, that if you have rested in the righteousness of Christ alone, denying any righteousness of your own, that by grace, through faith, you are restored to your God and you are forgiven of all of your sins. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord our God, at this time we also bring together before you our particular petitions, the things that we pray for as a people of God. We know that you are our only true and great healer. You are our Father. You are our King. Right now, we bring before you those of us that are struggling with different cancers. For Helen McBride, for Barbara Minor, for Johnny Baker, for Billy Paris, for Luann Paris, for Eva Roten, for Peggy Ford, for Robert McElhaney, and for Tracy Copeland. For all of these, Lord God, we pray that you would give them your special care and the encouragement of their heart, spirit, and soul, but also that you would bring healing and vigor to their bodies strengthening to their immune systems, and that also you would guide the doctors in, in the application of medications to their well-being, sustenance, and healing. We also pray for all of our students at all levels that are going back to school this week and last week, especially the college students, Lord God, that you would just bless them <clears throat> and have your hands on them, that you would encourage their faith and strengthen them in mind and heart for the things ahead, that you would give them a sharp mind, to apprehend and understand things in their education and that you would protect them physically and spiritually in the name of Christ. We pray for all of those who've been attending the recent homeschool classes that you would just bless them and we thank you for the opportunity to bless them through this church. We pray for those of the Good News Club that's starting up again soon and pray, Lord God, that we would just be a blessing to those at the local schools. We pray for J&D Jones who are moving very soon that you would have your spirit be upon them and bless them in all their endeavors. We pray for Mike Perkins 
and his continual uh, ongoing struggles, uh, medical struggles, and also for losing his glasses, that you would help him to find it. We pray for Aileen Prude, who's been sick recently, that you would just bless her and keep her and restore her in Jesus' name. We pray for Bob Bickley, who's still sick, Lord God, and just pray that you would heal him and be with him, that your spirit would be a sustenance to him. And also for Susie, who's with him, Lord God, that you would encourage her and strengthen her as she takes care of Bob. As far as general prayers, Lord, we continue to pray for Jack and Barbara Anthony for their encouragement and strengthening. We pray for Cynthia Hogan. We pray for Aileen Prude and for Elaine Garner. We continue to pray for Alice, David, and Murray Raver for their strengthening and encouragement for their physical healing. We pray for traveling mercies for Ramona and Michael Fredman. We thank you for bringing back to us safely Jerry and Jeanette Lyons. We pray for those of our number that are in the military, including Stephen, who was recently stung by a jellyfish, and engage. And we pray, Lord God, that you would protect them while they're serving and protecting our country in far-off places. We pray for Barbara, Helen's sisters, and pray, Lord God, that you would bless her and keep her. We pray for Patrick, who needs more rest and is working long hours, that you would strengthen him and encourage him. For Helen's niece, who has a brain tumor, we pray, Lord God, that you would just work through the doctors to heal her, but also through your unstoppable power, Lord God, that you would heal her and make her well. We pray for Christopher, Dan and Shirley's godson, as he goes off to the university, that you would bless him in all of his endeavors, that you would strengthen his faith and protect him during this time when, except for you, he's on his own. We pray, Lord God, that you would bless him in all these things. We pray for A.C., who has a tremendous family ordeal that he's going through. We pray that you would bless him and his family. We pray that it would, that your will would be, Lord God, to restore his marriage and bring them back to uh, being a strong family, that you would protect the children especially during this time and that all would rest in your strength. We pray for Marcia, Lord God, that you would bless her. And we pray, Lord God, and thank you for Marty's mother's life and what a blessing she was to him and the family. As always, in all of these things, Lord God, we know that we rest on you. We have no power to do anything in regard to these things for ourselves, but you have all power in you. You are our great physician, and we pray that if there are any unspoken prayers here today, Lord God, that you would heal your people and encourage them and give the doctors and nurses great understanding and skill in regard to our case. We pray, Lord God, for presidents and kings and princes and those in positions of power and authority that they would guide according to your royal law. But even in these things, Lord God, that you would bring peace to our land and against all nations. We pray for your church here and around the world that your gospel would be preached and that by the power of your Holy Spirit that many people would come to know you as Savior and as Lord. And we thank you for all of these things, praying the prayer that your Son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Please rise as we sing hymn number 355, I Need Thee Every Hour. with our tithes and offerings. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your blessings that all things come from you, that all things are yours. And Father, we give back to you just a portion of those things that are yours. Father, bless these, that your kingdom would be multiplied, Father, here locally, 
and worldwide. Father, we just ask that you bless these, that you accept these with our gladness. In the powerful name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, amen. your kingdom here and around the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, Chloe reminded me that we haven't done the children's sermon this month, so if all you kids or the kids that are interested want to come up to the front, we'll do a children's sermon.
<laughs> and not only that, but they make us brush our teeth, and they make us clean our room, and sometimes if we fight with our brother or sister, they correct us. They say, no, 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 don't they? But it's So today we will be in Judges chapter 15. Now we're continuing in the Sermon on the Mount and in the section of the Sermon on the Mount on temptation. And one of the paradigms that we're using for understanding temptation is the life of the prophet and judge of God named Samson. And we'll be in Samson excuse me, Judges chapter 15 from verse 9. The Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? They said, we have come up to bind Samson, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock at Edom and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, we have come down to bind you that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. And they said to him, 
No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. Let's pray. Lord, our God and Father, you are a great father to us. You lead us, Lord God, in spiritual things so that we may get divine insight even here in this body of flesh. We pray, Lord God, that you would open your word to us and give us great things from here through the encouragement and strengthening of our souls and to your service. And we praise you for this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So here we have a situation where Samson's ongoing life is getting more and more complicated. He's already had certain temptations, and some of them he's overcome, and some of them he's failed in. And now he has a situation where he's gone to the people of Israel themselves, but instead of them getting behind him and saying, you are a special judge sent by God to deliver us, your people Israel, from the hand of the Philistines, they immediately turn on him, and they say to him, No, the Philistines rule over us. They're our rulers. You are causing us trouble. This has happened again and again. You remember in the story of Moses, eventually the people turned against Moses. And you remember Jesus on the first Thursday, he comes into the city and everybody's cheering his name. But by the the end of the week, they were all saying, crucify him. This is a common theme with the people of God. In this, he makes them swear that they won't kill him and he's going to allow them to bind him. And what they want to do with him, their deliverer, the person sent by God, is they want to turn him over to the Philistines to sweeten their position and preserve their own lives and well-being. So now Samson is actually suffering not only the betrayal of Philistines, but he's suffering the betrayal of his own people. There are different steps that a person goes through in their descent into sin and madness. <laughs> One of them is self-justification. But also the way that God can arrange life in order to test a person can have many complicated factors. And one of those can be the people around you. Now, I've told you many times, when you look to your left and the right, these are the people that God specifically has put into your life for your sanctification, encouragement, and well-being. These are the people. If you wonder, who in the world has God put in my way, in my path, to strengthen me in the Lord? You don't really have to think about that much because it's these folks right here. But every once in a while, it's not, right? Every once in a while, there's trouble in paradise, right? And the people around you are the very people that you're going to have to deal with for one reason or another. These things come up, and the Bible gives us a great amount of detailed information and how to respond to conflicts between the people of God. But here, Samson actually submits himself to the will of the people. He has no actual intention of being taken away by the Philistines, but he lets them go all the way through with their betrayal. One of the most famous betrayals was Julius Caesar, right? He had a best friend named Brutus, and as soon as Caesar was becoming emperor, right, Brutus was the first one to betray him. And with the other people of the Senate, He stabbed his friend to death. And the final words that came off of Caesar's mouth were, et tu, Brute, which we translate, you too, Brutus. So the church, in this way, a church before time, is also here. And the church is afraid. When the Lord, when he came to Lehi, talking about Samson, Verse 14, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. 
And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like straw that had caught fire, and the bonds melted off his hands. And he found the fresh jawbone of a donkey, and he put out his hand and took it. And then he fought those men, and with it he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey have I struck down a thousand men. Now, there's a lot of, of places in the church these days where there's a kind of pacifism taught where you would never actually respond with violence to violence and the oppression of people that are trying to take you over or slave you, you would not actually fight back against them because that's what Jesus said to do, right? But not in the Bible, so they must be getting that somewhere else. In the Bible, the people of God fight back when they're oppressed. They do. Here, if you're thinking to yourself, well, Samson's now in sin because he's fighting back against people and he killed a thousand men to deliver his people Israel from the oppression of the Philistines, he is not in sin. God sent him and empowered him for that specific purpose to defend himself, his family, and his people from the rod and the chains. He's doing a good thing. You know, Christians are by orientation pacifists. We're passive with everybody. We will take oppression before we fight back. We will be slapped on one cheek and then the other before we will respond in kind. But there comes a place where if somebody breaks into your house in the middle of the night and you're there with your wife or you're there with your children and they have to be protected from harm or violence, that person might have to leave feet first, right? That person might have to leave on a stretcher. You might have to do whatever is necessary to protect your home, your family, and your people from violence or harm. And so you have to understand what Samson's doing here. He's not doing a wrong thing with a bad in inclination. He's doing exactly what God put him forward to do. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and the place was called Ramath-Lehi, which means the hill of the jawbone. And you have to remember at this time, the way that you died was important. To die in battle was good, to die getting clubbed to death with the jawbone of a donkey was humiliating. It's communicating a message, right? You know, even in those days, a donkey was foolish. Nobody wants to die by donkey. How many of you want to die by donkey? Want to get to heaven? One guy died in a great battle. Another guy lived a long life and passed away in his bed. How'd you die? Donkey. <laughs> it's not a good death. And so he humiliated them by with all their force and with all their numbers, one man stood against them and he took them out so that there could be no doubt that the witness was of the spirit of the Lord their God and not by the hand or power of any human being. And he was very thirsty and he called upon the Lord. You remember how I said most temptations are by our most basic impulses. Most temptations are by good things not by bad things. Most of our temptations come from our normal urges to procreate and our normal urges to eat and drink. And already, he says to the Lord, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? He immediately, after freeing all the people from the yoke of oppression, he starts to doubt the Lord in regard to his own well-being. He's actually arguing to the Lord that he's going to die of thirst after all of this. And it's shame. It's a shame because he's such a great guy. So he's crying out to the Lord for this. And God split open the hollow place that is at Levi in the rocks. And water gushed out of it. And when he drank, his spirit returned and he revived. 
Therefore, the name of it was called Enhakor. It is at Levi to this day, which means the spring of him who calls. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. So think about this. He did cry out to the Lord. He did doubt. He did think that the Lord was going to abandon him to die just for lack of a drink of water. But the Lord does not despise his child. He opens the rocks and the stones and the earth itself and water gushes forth out of it. And he drinks and he's revived. I want you to not miss the spiritual import of this for the well-being of your own soul. If you're feeling dry, if you're feeling abandoned by God, if you're feeling alone or lonely or forgotten, the Lord has never, ever forgotten one of his children or left them without his special care and providence. But this thing that's happening here is a physical event that's supposed to testify of a spiritual event. The water went into his mouth and into his body and replenished his bones But the true water that he was drinking in was the spirit of God for the replenishment of his soul because he had begun to doubt, hadn't he? If there is ever a time in this this text where we start to see that he had begun to doubt, this is it. Often after our greatest victories in the Lord, we have our lowest points, right? Let's be careful about the fact of what God is doing and how and when he's doing it. Chapter 16 of Judges. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here, and they surrounded the place in an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city, and they kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait till the light of the morning, and then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and pulled them up, bar and all and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that's at the front of Hebron. So immediately after this time of doubt, we see Samson himself fall into a time of sinful behavior. It's hard for us to think of, really a prophet of God, a judge? Let's always remember that a prophet of God and a judge is not really any different than you or me except for his day job, okay? Human man normal impulses, had been raised to great heights of glory, power over the people. And when he falls, he falls hard. Now, to understand what happens to him later in the story, we always know the end of the story, but we don't usually understand exactly how and why God allowed those amazing things to happen to him under the hands of the Philistines. But it was these actions, his behaviors, his abandonment of God, even while being God's right hand. He started to do the things that were a witness of infidelity. And those all came home to roost because those chickens don't fly far, right? After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sora, whose name was Delilah. Now you remember there was another time in the story when God actually put him up to marrying a woman of the Philistines. And it even says in the text that God did this in order to bring about a situation in which he could judge the Philistines. If the Philistines were a people that were against God and against the people of God, then eventually God's going to judge them, and Samson was one of the means through which he brought this thing about. God doesn't judge anybody unfairly. He's very careful in what he does and why he does it. He's also careful in when he does it. And so giving somebody an opportunity to fall into their own snare is something he comes up with from time to time. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said, seduce him, 
and see where his great strength lies. They had seen his great strength and his power. They were afraid of him, and they knew that he would overcome them all. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind and humble him. And we will give each of you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that, that one could subdue you. Why is he asking this question? Why does, not, why does he not see this coming, right? Now, there's already been a place in the story a couple chapters ago where Samson had trouble with women and they would come to him and they would cry and do all these things and he would just fall into their lap, right? And here's another time and you would think, you know, here's the thing about Abraham. Abraham's life was a mess. He's the great man of faith, right? But year after year, up and down, sloppy, 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 but Abraham learned. He rarely did the same sin twice. I'm gonna say rarely because there was a time. But Samson's not learning a thing, right? Put yourself in the place. He's only a man like us. Great circumstances falling upon a normal human being. So Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak like any other man. So now we finally know how to get by Samson's great strength. Then the lords of the Philistines brought him up to their seven bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as thread, flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the great strength was not known. The secret of his great strength was not known. At this point, did Samson tell the truth? He lied, right? I get the impression he's having fun with this at this point. He kind of knows what's going on. But he's allowed himself to fall into sin, and it's starting to gyrate within the inner workings of his mind. He's not being as wise as he thinks he's being. What he's being is tested by evil. Every once in a while, evil will come to you and it'll test you a little bit. It'll just give a little push, right? Just to see where you're soft. I'm mostly soft right in this area, but just a little push. Then Delilah said to Samson, behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please now tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the, rope, the ropes off his arms like threads. Then Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. Because, you know, it said in verse four, he loved her. Sucker. <laughs> If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, I shall become as weak as any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. You remember what one of the things that he was never supposed to do because of the Nazarite vow? Never was a razor supposed to touch his head, right? So now he's starting to give up the hair a little bit here. He's not telling her the truth, but he had long enough hair to weave it into the fabric of the... And she made them tight with the pin and said to them, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin and the loom and the web. And she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? Uh, evil never walks in the front door. It's always got a story. It's always dancing. It always looks like, you know, something nice. 
You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him and his soul was vexed toward death. (laughs) Pecking at him and pecking at him. This is Samson, the great man of war, right? And one woman (laughs) vexed his soul even unto death. And he told her, and he told her, and he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my great strength will leave me and I shall become weak like any other man. Remember, there were three vows of the Nazarite. One was he will never touch anything dead, but he gave that great poem and riddle to the Philistines, out of the eater something to eat out of the powerful something sweet, and he ate the honeycomb out of the chest cavity of the lion, and he defiled himself. And then he went to a party with them, and they partied for days and days at the wedding. And so he defiled himself. And now the last of the three vows is is hanging in the balance. He's told her the truth. Did you know, I know a lot of you guys here served in the military. I have not, but what's the first thing that they do once they get you off the bus? They shave your head. And I've heard a lot of reasons why about this, but I've looked it up and I've studied it, and this goes back to ancient times. This is not a new thing. Well, they want them all to look the same. Well, that might be one thing, but really it goes all the way back to biblical times, all the way back to the pre-Romans and the pre-Greeks. When new people came in, they wanted them to be purified by a purifying act. If you notice, there was one time even when the Apostle Paul went in and had his head shaved when he wanted to consecrate himself to the Lord for the purpose of the Jews, right? So this thing about shaving the head, it is a spiritual event, right? When we first bring all those guys in there and they're scared, it's the first time they've been away from their mama, the first thing they do is shave their heads because, okay, you're theirs now, right? It is a real thing. So we still do that to signify a change of life. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, She knew she had him now. Saying, come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up and brought the money in their hands, and she made him sleep on her knees. And she called the man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at any other time and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. That should be one of the scariest verses in the entire Bible to us. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again. So here's that powerful moment where finally he got his comeuppance. You know, when God brings you to a great height, you can very easily go into a great fall, right? The reason you fall is because you're at a great height. Gravity will not be fooled by you, right? When we see people like David get into some moral trouble in the Bible, he hits the pavement hard, right? And God had made Samson, the Lord, 
kind of the king, the judge over all his people Israel. So when he started to go into living a life, a lifestyle and pattern of behavior that was contrary to his Christian profession, he hits the ground hard. But the Lord never forgets his own. The Lord never forgets his own. The Philistines might have forgot, but God didn't forget. He's there all day in the prison, pushing the millstone around like a mule, right? But his hair began to grow. But his hair began to grow. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to their false god, Dagon. And to rejoice, and they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand. Had their God given their enemy into their hand? Their God had not, right? But our God had a plan. The ravager of our country who's killed many of us, and when their hearts were merry, he said, call Samson that he may entertain us. They were going to bring him out like a fool and poke him with sticks or whatever they were going to do to entertain themselves in his, at his suffering. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. The pillars were the two great columns that held up the top of the temple. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, he had to have a young man hold him by the hand to guide him where he went because he had no eyes. Let me feel the pillars on which this house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords and kings of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called on the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the great house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, and his right hand took one, and his left hand took the other. And Samson said, let me die with these Philistines. And he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon the people that were in it, so that the dead whom he killed at his death were more than all those he had killed during his life. Then the Philistines and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him at Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of Manoah, his father. And he had judged Israel for 20 years. There are different kinds of people in the Bible. Samson was raised for war. Samson was a judgment. If you remember, even King David himself, one of the most important figures in the entire Bible, was not allowed to build the temple of the Lord. And do you remember why? Because he was a man of blood. In other words, he was a man of war. He said, your son, I will allow to build me a temple, but not you, because you were called for a different purpose. And so Solomon built the temple. You can go there now and you can still see the grounds of the temple. The temple's not there for many different reasons that we can talk about in other sermons. But God had never abandoned Samson. But as Samson walked into this with his eyes wide open and he did whatever he wanted to do and he thought, I'm strong. They'll never get me. But then he offered up his vow to God as a sacrifice in the temple of his own self-involvement, right? Of his own glory. There's this thing that tends to happen a lot of times in counseling situations. I've talked to athletes and stuff like that. 
And if they're not doing well, sometimes they need to talk through things so they can get back on their game, you know? If you remember, Tiger Woods, he almost had a magical ability to get a ball to fall into a hole until everybody found out about things he was doing in his personal life, and then he could not physically drop a ball in a hole. And one of the things you ask them is, why did you choose not to catch the ball? And they're like, well, I didn't choose. I, I caught the ball, and I caught the ball, and I caught the ball, and then all of a sudden I can't catch the ball. And you ask them again, why did you choose to not catch the ball? And every conversation you have with them is about why they chose to lose a match that they could have won and why they chose to not catch a ball that they could have caught, and why they chose to not knock a ball into a hole when they have the perfectly good ability to do so. Because after a while, if there are things going on in our mind and heart that are distancing us from the Lord, we will start to sabotage ourselves. We'll start to destroy the things we've made. We'll start to make a way to punish ourselves for things that we feel like are not being punished by God. We're a complicated world of scurrying information. The human being is not like a computer at all. It's a lot more like a cabbage. We've got a lot of leaves and they're going in different directions and we don't even understand ourselves. But I'll tell you this thing. When you're at peace with God, you're at peace. And when you're not at peace with God, there is no other peace in this world that is going to matter a single bit. So let's all do everything that we can to let go of the past and make for ourselves a future in which our heart is determined and decided to follow and walk in the ways of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Lord our God, we thank you for sending your Christ into the world. We thank you, Lord God, that you have given us by grace a salvation that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and that you encourage us to believe in you unto salvation. We pray, Lord God, that you would continue to encourage us in these things, in your word, in our love for you, and our love for each other. We thank you for all of these great gifts in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
fellowship meal right now in the next room over there. Please come and get some food and some fellowship. You can have both for the same low price. Uh, also, uh, let's remember uh, uh, some of the things we have coming up pretty soon. We're going to have our, our Reformation Day uh, Harvest Festival event on October 31st. We're expecting hundreds of people there, so we are going to have to have people sign up to help out with that. Coming up for Christmas, which might seem like, why is he talking about Christmas this early? If we don't start planning now, Christmas will get here and we will not be ready. We've got like three or four months. We're going to do the Christmas parade and have a float. We're going to have a Christmas party where there will be entertainment that you will not want to miss. Uh, we're going to have the Hayride Sunday where there will be Hayrides and hot chocolate and uh, carols. And also we will have the Christmas Eve service. So these things are coming up. Uh, anything else? Anybody, anybody in the yard there's a yard sale next week, and I honestly know nothing about it. But talk to Helen. Helen? <laughs> uh, we're raising money to make a line yeah. for the adoption that they're speaking. And uh, I know we did it before. We haven't felt very well. So this weekend, yes, it is my birthday Saturday, but yes, I am having yard sale. <laughs> so give her a present. <laughs> People of God, look up and receive the blessing. May the Lord our God bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and may he give you peace. Amen. Amen. Good.